0: We are in uh, the life of Christ number 121, uh, lesson 121. Uh, We, uh, the past three weeks, we have been uh, studying Jesus at the cross. Uh, Remember, we looked at the first uh, three hours, then we looked at the second three hours, and then last week we just focused in on the the miracles uh, at the cross. And remember, we sort of talked about how... uh, Jesus on the cross, when we think of the cross, uh, our, our minds immediately go to Jesus' death, right? And that's sort of the Mount Everest of the cross. And then we often will forget about those, those foothills of Calvary that we talked about, those, those miracles that happened there, uh, the, including the darkness, the, the darkness for those three hours. Uh, we talked about that earthquake uh, that happened. And again, you know, that was something that happened when the law was given on Mount Sinai, uh, back in, in the book of Exodus. And then it also happens here uh, at, at Jesus's death, sort of culminating the beginning of the law and the ending of the law. And then we talked about how the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, right? And that could only have been a miraculous uh, event. And that veil, you know, it separated man from God, right? Uh, the, only the only the, the high priest could go behind that veil only one day a year to offer uh, prayer for the, for the people. But now that that veil is torn, you know, man now has access to God. And of course, that's through Jesus Christ. And then uh, we talked about briefly that last miracle, which were the, the graves being opened and the, the, and the saints being raised, resurrected. And again, we don't know really anything about uh, that too much. Only Matthew records that instance for us. And so it's just one of those things that uh, we're left to wonder about, um, the impact that that had on the people. We, we just really don't know. So today's lesson, we are moving on from the cross, and we're going to look at the, the burial of Jesus, the burial of Jesus. And um, before we jump into the text, and I'm going to start off in Mark chapter 15, Verses 40 and 41. How do we often define the gospel? You know, the good news. How do we often define that? What are those three events that we often define as the gospel? Okay, yeah. So the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, as Paul states, and we, and we you know, we, we talk about his death quite a bit. You know, the, uh, again, uh, the book of Romans lets us know that uh, because of Jesus's death, we are reconciled to God. Uh, we have an opportunity for, for salvation. And we talk about his death quite a bit. And we also talk quite a bit about the resurrection of Jesus. Right? Uh, he, is, he was declared the son of God. Uh, by the resurrection, Romans chapter 1, verse 4. And so those two bookends, we talk a lot about, again, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, but we don't often talk about the burial of Jesus. And as we're going to see in this lesson this evening, that there's, um, there's a lot to be said about it, and there's importance to it as well. Did Jesus ever speak about his burial during his earthly ministry? He did a couple of times, didn't he? Remember uh, back when he when he sort of compared it to Jonah being in the whale or being in the in that you know that giant fish for the three days and three nights. Well, uh, again, he he referenced that as uh, just like Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, the the Son of God will be uh, again uh, in that tomb for three days, three nights. Uh, remember in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus is there in, in that house in uh, Bethany. And um, remember Mary, the sister of Martha, breaks that vial of perfume and she anoints Jesus' body with that. Remember Judas gets upset with her uh, for doing that. And Jesus said, listen, what she's doing is a good thing, right? She's preparing my body for a burial, he says. And so Jesus has spoken about his burial a couple of times. And so again, that's, that's going to be the focus of the lesson to this evening. We talk about his death, we talk about his resurrection, but there's that other piece that we often forget, and that's his burial. And so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be starting, a, again, another series of lessons. Uh, we're really going to look at the closing hours of Friday uh, when Christ died, and then we'll get into Saturday as he's in the tomb, and then eventually we'll get to Sunday when he is resurrected. So... Uh, Let's start off in Mark chapter 15, verses 40 and 41. And we just want to notice uh, some of those who view or had a firsthand eyewitness view of uh, his death. So in Mark 15, starting in verse 40, uh, there were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Less and Jose's, and uh, Salome, and when he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. And there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So uh, we begin by noticing uh, that there were Jesus had many women following him throughout his ministry, didn't he? And this is, uh, this is noteworthy to, to make. Uh, this wasn't just something. Uh, That just happened now, but it's been throughout his ministry. Actually, there's a a passage back in Luke chapter 8. I want to read this to you. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse uh, 1, 2, and 3. You know, we studied this a long time ago, but again, just kind of to set the scene. uh, It says here, Soon afterwards, he began Jesus going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, uh, Mary who was called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuza, Herod steward, and Susanna, and many other who were contributing to uh, their support out of their private means. So the women played a big role in Jesus' ministry, didn't they? I mean, they were funding Uh, It tells us there they were helping financially support Jesus and the apostles as they uh, went about doing this. And so um, so those who had ministered to Jesus while he was in Galilee, uh, they're there down in Jerusalem uh, when Jesus is nailed to the cross. Uh, We notice that they didn't abandon him at at the cross. Uh, They were, uh, as we're going to see here, last at the cross. And in a couple of lessons, we're going to see that they were first at the tomb. Right. We see their great faith. And at least two of these uh, women were uh, witnesses of Jesus' death. They were witnesses of his burial and they were witnesses of his resurrection. And that's pretty important. Right. That there the same person, the same two people uh, eyewitnessed all three of these events. And so when we when we read these verses, uh, does this come to mind that we think, well, where, where are the apostles? Right? Where are Jesus' disciples? Uh, where are where's his inner uh, trio—Peter, uh, James, and John? You know the 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 that inner circle, his best friends. Where are these apostles at? Yeah, they're, they're nowhere to be seen, are they? Now, uh, a lot of commentators will point out that you know possibly you know if uh, if those apostles, uh, those who were faithful to Jesus during his ministry, were actually there at the cross then, you know, they might have been more uh, inclined to be arrested uh, for being there uh, where the women were not uh, necessarily uh, in that big of a trouble uh, being arrested for being there. But ultimately, you know, it's the women's faith that's shining through these last couple of chapters uh, in in these gospel accounts. Right. They're there at the cross. They're going to be there at the tomb. And uh, we just want to. Again, just note that, right? Their eyewitness testimony is going to be extremely valuable to the early church, right? Because they, uh, especially these two women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who witness his death, they're going to witness his burial, as we're going to see here in a moment, and they're going to eventually witness the, the resurrected Jesus. Let's turn to John chapter 19, and we'll be in John chapter 19, I believe, for most of the night. Uh, starting in verse 31, and uh, let's, uh, let's notice, uh, we just noticed his death viewed, and now we're going to notice his death confirmed. So John chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 31, uh, the apostle records, Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, Asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who had seen had testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Okay, so again, the, the setting is it's Friday. Jesus has died. Uh, we're told here that, you know, they, they also referred to Friday as the day of preparation. Right. And so that just simply means... Uh, you know, uh, as as Saturday is quickly approaching the Sabbath day, uh, Friday they got to do a lot of things, right, to prepare for the Sabbath because they are not to work on the Sabbath, and so you know they've got to get their meals ready, uh, they've got anything that, that any sort of work that they would have needed to do, they need to take care of that now. Again, it's a day of preparation, and especially uh, as we notice here, um, you know they can't mess with the bodies, right, uh, because. Again, that's going to be uh, a type of work. And so they need to, uh, as the Jews go to Pilate, they say, uh, let's hasten their deaths uh, so that we can take them down. Uh, <clears throat> and so, again, they, they break the legs of those who are crucified. And uh, except for whose? Mm-hmm. Except for Jesus, right? Because uh, he, as they go and, and they approach Jesus, Um, he's already dead. Now now what's the point of breaking someone's legs upon the cross? Yeah, yeah. uh, You know, the breathing aspect of being on the cross, uh, they're they're using their legs to kind of push up to, you know, to get to exhale, inhale, right? And so if their legs are broken and they can't inhale, exhale anymore, uh, you know, they're going to eventually die from uh, not being able to breathe. And so, They do that to hasten their death. Now, it's kind of interesting because the Romans, uh, if they had it their way, they would have kept these men upon the cross because, remember, this was a deterrent uh, of people uh, breaking Roman law, right? They they would have wanted these people to stay on the cross as long as possible so that when people walked by, uh, they would have noticed it. But the Jews, on the other hand, uh, they... Uh, well, if we turn to uh, back in the old law, De- Deuteronomy chapter 21, uh, notice what uh, here Moses writes. Uh, Deuteronomy 21, starting in verse 22, it says, If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, the corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, and you And that you do not defile your land, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. So it was a big deal to the Jewish people to uh, take care of this the same day, right? And so that's why they go to Pilate and say, uh, "Hasten their death! Right? Break their legs, get them so that we can take them down, that we can get them buried, uh, because it's it's an accursed thing to let someone stay." Um, upon the cross overnight. And again, you, you kind of see the, the differences in uh, each of these uh, um, you know, cultures, the Roman culture and the Jewish culture. Question. Yeah.
1: This is a little aside. And if, you, if we don't discuss it now, it might be a question for your box out there. But often, when men, including myself, um, Or at the table when we do the prayer, Um, first prayer for the bread, we'll reference Christ's broken body. Is that appropriate or is it misleading to use the word broken? Given no legs or or given no bones were broken? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was going to go to that passage that Mike's talking about, Matthew, you know, twenty-six. You know that we often read this. It says, you know, when Jesus took some bread and after a blessing he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, "Take eat, this is my body." So I think that's what we usually think of that as. That makes
1: sense.
0: Yeah. well, that's a good question. We'll, uh, if you don't write it down, I'll write it down and put it in there. <laughs> okay, uh, so um, so Jesus' body his, or his legs weren't broken, but of course he's upon the cross. Uh, the soldiers, uh, they, they come to verify again that Jesus is dead. And so what do they do to verify this? They, they pierced the side, right? And this isn't simply, you know, just pricking or poking at him. I mean, they, they probably uh, pierced quite far uh, within him uh, with, the, with that spear. Um, actually, the, I think it's in the, the lesson uh, that you have that said it probably was a deep wound all the way to the heart. Right, So we're talking about a pretty uh, deep stab that they would have done. And that makes sense because remember what Thomas said uh, in, in John chapter 20 about you know, wanting to see Jesus for himself? Uh, you remember he talked about how he wanted to put his, you know, hand uh, in his side, right? And so, um, so we're thinking this was probably a pretty deep gash. Um, now, this is um, pretty interesting that you know this was something that was actually a prophesied in the Old Testament to to happen. Uh, first, first uh, the one that we talked about. In Psalm 34, verse 20, that his bones were not broken. And again, what's that in reference to? Uh, that, that his bones would not be broken. He was still in one piece. Still in one piece? Yeah, if we go back to ex, uh, the events of Exodus, <laughs> Exodus chapter 12, when uh, the Passover uh, instructions are given... Uh, if you recall, uh, what was the instructions about the, the Passover lamb that they were to eat? Uh, they weren't to break the bones of it, right? And so, as Jesus is our Passover lamb, you know that sort of uh, it makes sense, doesn't it? That that his bones were not broken, and um, also, so that's prophesied. That's a fulfillment of prophecy, and also a fulfillment of prophecy. Again, here is that his that he was pierced. And John, the Apostle John lets us know uh, again in verse uh, 37 of John 19, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And that was a reference to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And so his side is pierced. And what comes out of his side? Blood and water. water. Yeah. I wish I had some more time to, to discuss this point, but this has always been interesting to me. Blood and water, you know. Um, you know why, why this combination? And uh, a lot of the times, and th- there's, if you read what uh, the, the, the curriculum talks about, it talks about some of the different uh, theories as to why, but I think the, the one that most people kind of lean towards is um, sort of the symbolism that blood and water uh, entail. Right, uh, the importance of blood and water uh, in, uh, <clears throat> in, in the life of Jesus, right? Through baptism, we contact that blood. Uh, and so, again, there, there's some off, there's, there, there, sometimes there's some confusion. Maybe this will be another uh, question that I'll put in the Q&A box uh, for next month as well. But, um, you know, G- John wants us to know, he, he were, in verse 35... Uh, Look again, he says, and he who has seen and has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you uh, also may believe. You know, John's saying here, listen, I saw this with my own eyes. Uh, I'm testifying about this, uh, that this really did happen, right? That Jesus uh, was pierced. And so uh, his death has now been confirmed. And so the natural step, the natural next step after that would be what? Burial, right? Burial. And so uh, let's pick up in John 19, verse 38. I'm sorry I got to rush uh, through this. I know we're running out of time quickly. John 19, starting in verse 38. Uh, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, uh, about a hundred-pound weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. And therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby... They laid Jesus there. Okay, so here comes this man onto the scene, Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, I wanted to read Luke's account of, of him as well, uh, Luke 23. We got, we got a little bit of, uh, of his background in John. Uh, listen to what Luke says about him in Luke 23, starting in verse 50. It says, And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action, a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. What do you think happened to most criminals uh, who were crucified and, and died upon the cross? as far as their bodies. Yeah, they stayed up there for a while, rotted away, and then, you know, they weren't given a, a burial. They might have been thrown in the, uh, the, the pit the, or, or pitched in the, you know, the city dump. And so, likely, you know, if Joseph of Arimathea doesn't come along, you know, that might happen here as well. Uh, now, what do we know about him? Uh, We're told here that he was a secret disciple of Jesus. He was a prominent member of the council, meaning he was one of those 70 or 71 men on the Sanhedrin, that Jewish hierarchy of leaders within the religion. He was a good and righteous man, we're told. Again, he was from Arimathea. He was a rich man. And again, this this part also fulfills prophecy. Uh, it's just amazing, all the prophecy that's being fulfilled here. Um, Isaiah chapter 53, uh, verse 9. You remember Isaiah 53, uh, the, the suffering servant? Uh, it says here in verse 9 of Isaiah 53, His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Right, Jesus is... Uh, uh, he's going to be buried here in the tomb of a rich man, right? Joseph of Arimathea, and again, that's just uh, just striking of all of these uh, prophecies coming to pass. This man was waiting for the kingdom of God. Uh, we're told he didn't consent to Jesus' death, and he had to gather up courage to go to um, to Pilate and ask for the body. Now, helping him was another man. Uh, who was this man? Nicodemus. Yeah, now we've read about Nicodemus uh, in the past, haven't we? John chapter 3. Remember, he comes to Jesus at night and wants to talk to him about some things. Uh, We read about him again in John chapter 7, where he sort of speaks up for Jesus among the Jewish leaders. Uh, But here, you know, you can see his faith progress through the scriptures, right? Uh, He's coming to Jesus by night. And then he's kind of sticking up for Jesus, and now he's, you know, he's publicly displaying his allegiance to Jesus by coming and helping to prepare Jesus' uh, body for, for burial. I always struggle when I, um, I know we're probably not going to have uh, enough time to finish this lesson, but I always struggle when I study uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Right, uh, just because of that, that point—that you know they were—they were secret disciples. Do are there secret disciples uh, in the world today? Yeah, well, what about in China? You know, that's a country that uh, you know you could be thrown in prison for uh, worshiping uh, the God of Heaven, right? And so what is there church China? Oh I, there's a lot of house churches in China uh, but they have to they have to worship in fear of persecution right uh, I mean we could talk about it in, in any country uh, in the world uh, you know, some of the middle eastern countries uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan where you know people are uh, worshipping uh, in fear of you know having maybe their lives taken for doing that. And, you know, maybe, I guess, you know, thinking about that, again, that term secret disciple, um, but then I think of, you know, how we have it here in the United States, right? That we can worship without fear of that persecution, uh, that we don't have to worry about, you know, police coming in the door and arresting us. And um, Again, you know, ask that question: Are there those here in the United States who uh, might consider themselves, you know, secret disciples? Just a thought, a throwing out there again. Um, you know, it's just.
1: the church, it might be 10 people, or a house, or or 7 people, and that became a thing, especially in communities where the survival of the larger church, it it just wasn't happening, now what I question with these house churches is is how do they, where's the leadership, Uh. in terms of elders, deacons? But but in in China, they're kind of forced to do that because they have to worship in secrecy because of the threat of being arrested and persecuted.
0: Right. They can't construct a church building to attend because then they're painting the target on their backs. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: I wondered if that wasn't, The musical instruments, God actually prescribed the way that, that we were to worship in song. And I've wondered that one of the reasons, if you imagine a house church where they're in secrecy, if they were using musical instruments, they could be a little louder. It might attract attention, whereas if they're not using that, they're just using their voices, it might not be as loud nor attract, attract attention. It's just a theory.
0: You're talking about under the Old Testament system of worship when they could use instruments.
1: Yeah, well, yes. Yeah. yes, as opposed to how he prescribed that we do it in the New Testament. Yeah. I mean, there, may be some, uh, there may be some reasons why he did not
0: want. Oh, okay, yeah, I get so that. One of the
1: reasons might be, like in, guess, in the Testament House Church, or even the early church, uh, the musical instruments seemed to me like they would attract attention.
0: Yeah, I never really thought about that, but...
1: like
0: I said... Yeah. Okay, so anyway, so uh, we have these two men, right? Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, secret disciples of Jesus, but now they're really, they're coming out in public, aren't they? Uh, They are, they've taken the body of Jesus, they're preparing it for burial. Uh, Again, Joseph, he buys that, that linen cloth to wrap Jesus' body in. Nicodemus, he gathers all these spices... We're told a hundred pounds worth. And so again, we see sort of, um, you know, that, that, these men were, um, you know, well off that they could afford these things. They bury, uh, him in that, uh, that tomb that we're told was a brand new tomb just, you know, freshly cut out of the rock. This happened to be Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, um, you know, just by coincidence, I saw this the other day. I thought it was cute. Uh, but uh, there was this character, caricature of Pilate and uh, Joseph of Arimathea talking. And, you know, Pilate, he says to Joseph, you know, I just can't believe it. You know, you, you're, uh, you, you're so wealthy and you just you paid a handsome fee for uh, that, that new tomb where you and your family could be buried. And you're going to give it to this man, Jesus. Uh, you're going to give it to this man who died on the cross and Joseph looks at Pilate and he says, well, he's only going to be borrowing it for the weekend. And I thought that was uh, kind of cute, but uh, I guess we'll, we'll end it there. We'll finish up next week uh, as we uh, finish up the, the burial and really get to the important part of you know, what that represents in the life of the Christian. And you can read about that in Romans chapter 6.